This is our third week on a series entitled Supernatural, and the first sermon in the series is called Pathway to Power. And inside your worship program are the notes for today's sermon, so I encourage you to get those out. You're probably going to need those uh, today a little bit more than you normally do, so I encourage you to get those out and get a pen and fill in those blanks. We're just really glad you're here today. Thank you so much for coming. A lot of people are here today for their first time. We're very, very happy to have you. And uh, if you have any questions about our church, we'd be happy to answer those. Don't forget to pick up your gift bag uh, before you leave to go home. Well, we're in a new year, 2009, and we want to know how to make that a better year than last year and maybe even how to make that the best year of our life. And um, to do that, you've got to learn to depend less on yourself and more on him. You've got to get on a pathway not to your power or your ability or your talent or your strength, but you need to get on a pathway to his power, supernatural power. And we have already discussed two of the steps on this pathway to power Step number one, or truth number one, as it is in your Bible, is to recognize the presence of Jesus in your life, to be aware of the presence of Jesus in your life. As one author titled a book he wrote, that you would practice the presence of God in your life. Step number two is that we are to receive the promise of Jesus. First of all, recognize the presence of Jesus. Secondly, receive the promise of Jesus for our life. The promise of Jesus is supernatural power. After Jesus rose from the dead, he was still on this earth for 40 days. Just before he ascended back to uh, heaven, he told us that he was going to send the supernatural power of God upon us. So there is a promise, and we talked about that. Let's see if I can remember the four points from last week's sermon. We found out that this supernatural power will enlighten us. This supernatural power will um, empower us. This supernatural power will encourage us. And it will do another E thing. And if you will go online, you'll discover what that is because I can't remember it right now. I remembered it in the early service, but between there and here, I lost it. Um, so, so learn these things about the Holy Spirit of God, the supernatural Holy Spirit of God that is available to you. You need him in your life. You need the power of God in your life. You say, well, I've accepted Jesus and, and I know that I'm a Christian and I know that if I die right now, I'm going to heaven. I'm confident of all of that. That's wonderful. But remember, in the book of Ephesians, he was talking to Christians. He was talking to believers and he told them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to move into the reasoning for that today because not only do we need to recognize the presence of Jesus and not only do we need to receive the promise of Jesus, we need to also respond to the plan of Jesus or the plan of God. We know here at Whitley Church, you know, if you know anything at all about the Bible, that Jesus was God, is God, and will forever be God. And so we are to respond to the plan of Jesus for our life. And he gives us that plan in Acts 1.8. Now, if you're here this morning 
and you've been, uh, maybe you've been saying, you know, I don't volunteer, I don't get involved, because I got to tell you, Pastor, I just really don't know God's plan for my life. I just really don't know what God's will for my life is, and so that's why I don't sign up for anything out at the information desk, and that's why I haven't gotten involved in any ministry, and, and that's why I've just been sitting here on the pew, because I just don't know what God's plan for my life is. I'm going to fix that today. I'm going to tell you exactly what God's plan for your life is, so get that pen out and get ready to write it down, because it's very, very clear. It is for your life and for mine. Acts 1 and 8 says, the Lord says, but you shall receive power, supernatural power. The word supernatural means beyond nature, beyond what is natural. You're going to receive power that comes from heaven. So let's read it that way, thinking that way, but you shall receive power supernatural power, heavenly power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you have received this power, the result of that will be that you shall be witnesses to me. Now that's better interpreted. You shall be my witnesses. You shall be representatives of me. Just, this is Jesus talking here in Acts 1.8. So he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what is Jesus saying here? I'm going to kind of put this in uh, Wayne County, Johnston County language. Uh, Y'all may not know, but I actually, you know, our church is right on the Wayne County, Johnston County line, you know. So I was thinking about changing our church name to the John Wayne Church. Because I could just think about all kinds of advertisements you could do on the radio and on TV. Well, partner, come on out to the John Wayne Church. And, you know, if I was on TV, I'd do the little John Wayne walk, you know. That That's, anyway, sorry about that. I digress. What is Jesus saying here? Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to us in Acts 1-8, he's saying to you, he's saying it to you. He's saying, I'm going to make available to you supernatural power, my supernatural power. Now, this power is only available for me, and there's no other source for this power. The world offers nothing that even compares to it. The enemy, Satan, offers nothing that is even in the ballpark of the kind of power I'm talking about for you. I give you the choice. I give you the choice of accepting this power I'm offering or rejecting it. If you accept this power, it will only be made available to you if your motivation is right. And that is that your motivation would be to allow this power to work through you, that you would be an effective witness in reaching out to those who do not yet know me as Lord and Savior. Now, I want to just stop right there and tell you that the Holy Spirit, how many of you, let me just ask a question, how many of you enjoy the Holy Spirit? You enjoy him. I do too. I'm telling you, man, I just enjoy the Holy Spirit. I've enjoyed the Holy Spirit this morning in the worship service, haven't you? I tell you, by the time we got to that last song, I mean, 
I could feel angels playing tic-tac-toe on my backbone, and I don't even know what that means, but I just felt something going on, and, and I felt his warmth, and I felt his nearness, and, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the way that made me feel, and, and, and sometimes when I'm having my private prayer time, uh, I'll have it in my, in my home, and I love to go back in the bedroom when nobody's home, and, and that's one of my favorite places, or the den area is one of my favorite places at home where I love to pray, and sometimes I'll pray, and, and when I do, I, I just pray and I, I say what I need to say. I always try to include thanksgiving in my prayer and I always try to include praise because, you know, thanksgiving's what he's done for you. Praise is who he is. And I always try to include that and I always then bring my, um, my petitions, my needs to him. And I say, God, this is what I need you to do in my life. And, and then I try to spend some time in meditation. So there are different components of prayer. Sometimes I'll mix the Bible in and I'll read some verses and pray a bit and read and pray. And and because uh, when you're reading the Bible, that's God talking. And when you're praying, you're talking to God. And then that's a conversation. And that's how people get to know each other. And I want to get to know God. And, and so, but sometimes, sometimes in my prayer time, God just shows up. Y'all with me on that? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Sometimes, I, you know, sometimes he just surprises me. Because it's not that I'm really doing anything different. It's just that for some reason he decides to just, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he's, I just don't, I just sense his nearness. I just, I'll be honest with you, and I know we have to be careful with this word, but I feel him. I mean, I feel him in my very flesh. I feel his warmth. And, and, and when I feel his nearness, sometimes I, I feel, um, I have a sense of, uh, um, you know, just I want to cower. I want to just kind of cower because God is so holy. And, 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 you know, you think you're living right and walking right. And you got everything straight. And then all of a sudden, God just kind of gets real close to you right beside. And boy, when his light shines on you, you are not nearly as holy as you thought you were. And, and, and so I enjoy those times. I love those times. Sometimes I rejoice. And sometimes I'll just break out in praise. And I'm going to be just real honest with you. If you drove up at my house when I was having one of those times, you might call the paddy wagon and say, I, pastor's in there losing it, man. Because I, I begin to rejoice out loud. And I begin to praise him out loud. And, and you know, the Bible talks about dancing before the Lord. And, and, uh, and, and, and sometimes I do that. Y'all are like, man, I'd love to see that. <laughs> you know, and um, I mean, I don't know how to dance before the Lord. <laughs> I don't know how. But you know, one day, one day the presence of God just showed up at my house. And um, it just reminded me of something Jack Hayford said one time. And I remember how my boys, when they were little and they got so excited if they thought I had something for them, they would just stand and do like this. And I, I remember that day in prayer, I just stood before God like a little boy. Like, Daddy, whatever you got, Daddy, whatever you got. Yes, I'm freaky. Yes. Yes, I am. Sometimes when God shows up like that, I don't care what y'all think about how I worship God. I don't care. Deal with it. I mean, how can, you, how can you go, oh, God is here. <laughs> Hallelujah. God, man, I'm not, 
I mean, we take, a, we take a leather ball full of air and throw it through a cotton net and freak out. God shows up and we go, oh, praise him, praise him. Amen? Man. That, yeah, some of y'all probably sitting there on Sunday morning, you see me up here on the front, and I'm like, oh, I'm just walking around, I've got my hands up, and you're thinking, man, he's going to go off. Listen, if you knew how much I was holding back, you would just be so happy about that, I'm telling you. All right, so sometimes God just shows up, and, um, and I enjoy him. But I want to just tell you, as much as I enjoy him, the Holy Spirit is not primarily for my pleasure. The Holy Spirit is not primarily for my comfort. We learned last week he's a comforter and he's an encourager and, 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 and he's to be enjoyed. I'm not preaching against enjoying the Holy Spirit. Here's where we make a mistake. is when we think that he is primarily for our enjoyment and not our employment. But the power of the Holy Spirit upon you is for your employment that you would serve. That power is given to you so that you will have power to serve. And really, more specifically, power to witness, to share the love of Jesus. This is the plan of God for your life. This is the plan of God for my life. You say, well, I still don't know the specific plan of God. Well, you know what? You'll come to know the specific plan of God for your life when you start doing the general plan of God for your life. You start witnessing to people about the love of Jesus. We're going to teach you how to witness today. But you start witnessing to people about the love of Jesus and go, you know, I really don't know God's specific calling, but I'm just going to start sharing the love of Jesus with people. And I'm just going to start doing what God has obviously told every Christian to do. I'm going to start praying more and I'm going to start testifying more and I'm going to start really standing up more and, and, and I'm just going to do the part I know. And then all of a sudden, you begin to understand the details for your own individual specific life. Does that make any sense to you? So the plan is that you will allow his power to work through you. Remember the glove the other Sunday and how the glove is dead and lifeless and then when God comes into us, we become alive so he wants to work through you. A glove can do nothing unless a hand is in it. You can do nothing until Jesus is in you. And when he comes in you, he wants to witness to the unchurched through you by sharing with them the gospel message. You say, well, I can't witness. I can't witness. I mean, pastor, that's not even my gift. And you know what we think about a lot of times when we think about witnessing? We think about um, going door to door. Y'all remember in the old days, we go, all right, visitation is Thursday evening at 7. We are going out to harass lost people. <laughs> We're going out to harass people who do not know the Lord. Now, they probably will not accept the Lord, but we'll feel better about ourselves. We didn't say that, but that's, hmm. And remember when you train them, boy, I've done this, man. I've been a pastor for 30 years. I've tried everything. I'd train them, man. We'd learn the Roman road to salvation, and I'd train them. And then we'd go out, and, and I'd say, all right, Thursday night, Thursday night. We'd all show up, and everybody's excited. Everybody comes back. How'd it go? Not too good. You know, it just didn't go that well. And then we go, all right, next Thursday. And then next Thursday, you know, some couldn't make it. And then finally, you end up out there, you and one other guy. And he thought it was another kind of meeting. He didn't even know it was witnessing night. 
and you know, it just really, I, I'm not against that. If you want to do that, that's fine. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But I got to tell you something. For me, that doesn't work. First of all, I don't want you coming to my house unless I know you're coming. Now, I love y'all. I love y'all, really. Y'all are wonderful. But call me before you come, would you please? <laughs> Somebody dropped, my by, dropped by my house the other Saturday morning uh, to bring me a, a Christmas gift. And I'm always open to that. I'm always open to that. But they dropped by. And I, I mean, I was not ready for prime time. <laughs> I had bedhead. And I had, I've got these NC State bedroom shoes that are like this big, honestly. On, uh, it looked like clown shoes. I just went to the door and went, hey. And they went, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not, I, you know, we, we just live in a day. You know, there was a time when you just go by people's house anytime, but we just kind of really don't live in that day anymore. You say, but pastor, we're supposed to witness. Yes, we are, but there's a better way to do it. A lot of people say, I just can't witness. I just can't. I don't have the gift. I don't have the ability. I don't have the personality. Well, sure you can witness. Let's say that there was an accident and you saw it and the authorities come to you and go, did you see this accident? And you go, absolutely, I saw it. I mean, I was right there looking right at it when it happened. And they go, all right, well, you got to be in court on such and such a date. And you go, They put you up on the stand. You say, I could never do that. I cannot do that. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know court decorum. I don't know lawyer terms. They would look at you and go, dude, we're not asking you to be a lawyer. We're asking you to be a witness. See, and a lot of people think before they can witness, they got to be a theologian. Wrong. Remember when the blind man got healed? Blind man got healed, and as soon as his eyes were open, Jesus touched him. His eyes were open. He could see. Boy, the, these uh, so-called theologians, religious leaders came, and they were, uh, you know, they got that preacher voice. You ever notice some guys have a different voice in the pulpit? They sound like they swallowed a steeple. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and they were probably asking him, Now, sir, I know that you were blind and can see. And now I'd like to ask you, theologically, but, and that guy, I mean, these questions were coming at him, and that blind guy goes, oh, whoa, ho, ho. Uh, hey, dude, I don't know any of the answers to that. All I know was I was blind, and now I can see. Golly, you know. He wasn't a theologian, but boy, he could tell you what Jesus did for him, and that's all witnessing is. Tell your story. Tell your story. Story. Tell what you've seen since he found you. Tell what you've heard that made you desire him. Tell what you've experienced since he came into your life. Tell your story. Share the love of Jesus. And all who've received Christ are to be witnesses. Now, let me tell you, you might be sitting there going, I got to tell you something. I, I don't have a story. I don't have a story. I mean, I'm a Christian, but I don't have a story. Well, I'm going to be real honest with you this morning. I'm going to be very honest with you. Um, it may be that you were never really converted if you don't have a story. Now, look, I'm not, pl- I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation, and I'm not trying to make you doubt the fact that you've received Jesus Christ. But i got to tell you something. We live in a day of easy believism. And I don't know if you know what I mean when I say that, but we live in a day when, when we're in such a hurry as a church that we tell people, hey, listen, uh, you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah. You believe he died on the cross? Yeah. Believe he rose from the dead? Yeah. Well, hey, uh, just tell them you're really sorry for your sins and you are a Christian. Ta-da. And you go, oh, man, that is awesome. Where do I get my certificate? Because I want to make sure when I die, I got that in my hand, uh, you know. <laughs> 
And I got to tell you something, uh, listen, listen, a lot of conservative churches that really believe the Bible have become so seeker friendly and so sensitive to those who don't know the Lord yet that they end up not even telling them the pure gospel. And so people walk out of church and they've been told you had a conversion experience, you are now a believer, you have now received Christ, when there was never really a conversion experience. And so I want to just say to you this morning uh, that it is very important for me as your pastor and all my teachers who are out here and all my kids' teachers, listen, don't get into that abracadabra, one, two, three, you're a Christian. Let me tell you some elements of true conversion real quick. And this isn't even in your notes, so you can just write this on the back or somewhere. When, when there's a true conversion, first thing that's going to happen is in that unbeliever, there's going to be a real, genuine, godly sorrow for sin. And they're going to understand that they were born lost. You're born lost. I mean, you're not born right with God and then you mess up. I'm here to make you feel good today. You're born messed up. You are born in need of a Savior. Now, now you say, you mean, Pastor, little babies that are born, if they get sick and die, then that means they don't go to... No, 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 no. The, the, you know, I, in, in keeping with the overall character of God, you know that would not be true. You, 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 judge, the, you judge the Word of God by the Word of God, and you know that, that, that the grace and mercy of God would cover a little baby that doesn't even understand the gospel. There is an age of accountability. Now, when, when we talk about an age of accountability, we're not talking about a certain age because some kids uh, understand very, very early. But there are some kids that are 16, 17, 18 that have never had the gospel clearly presented to them, and they don't even know what it means to become a Christian, to be born of the Spirit. Y'all with me this morning? So, so um, what, what we've got to do is understand that before there can be a true conversion, there has to be sorrow for sin. And you have to understand that you were born with a sin nature and that sin nature has to be dealt with. And the sin that you've acquired, the things you've done has to be dealt with. And you have to understand that your sin is an offense to God. And so you come with sorrow for your sin. And then you come to God uh, in repentance. And the word repentance means about face. It's really military. You know, you're marching this way towards sin, self, and Satan, and then you're just doing about face. Listen, listen. And you make a conscious decision. I don't want that anymore. I want Jesus. There is a decision that is made that I want to leave that behind, and I want Jesus. Now, I'm telling you, in a lot of churches today, we're almost taught that you can still move this way and still have some Jesus and still have some. No, it is an about face. It is a turning your back on all of that and embracing fully. That's why some of you sitting right here this morning are so frustrated because you're trying to play uh, both ends. You're trying to hold on to God with one hand and hold on to uh, the old life with the other hand. I mean, uh, on top of the table, you're telling Jesus how much you love him, but you're playing footsie with the world underneath the table. Amen, amen. I'm telling you, before there's going to be a real conversion, there's got to be an about face in your life. Now, look, I'm not trying to be hard-headed here. I'm just trying to tell you what real conversion is. Real conversion is turning there is a turning away 
from the old life and an embracing of a new life in Christ. And then, then there has to be some, it doesn't have to be a deep theological understanding, but there has to be some understanding of the substitutionary death that Jesus uh, died on the cross of Calvary in your behalf. You have to understand that there had to be a debt paid for your sin and you can't pay it. How many of y'all understand the concept of having a debt you cannot pay? <laughs> mm. There's nothing funny about that, is there? But, but we all know that concept. Well, you, you had a debt you could not pay, and it didn't matter what kind of financial shape you got yourself in or how healthy you became financially, you could never pay this debt. Only Jesus' death on the cross could pay that debt. And you have to understand that. Now listen to me. You need to also understand the suffering of Jesus. You need, to, you need to have some understanding of the extent that Jesus went through to bring you back to God. You say, well, you know, we want to be careful and, and we, don't want to, we don't want to scare off the seekers. You know, we don't want to scare them off. Listen, I understand all that and we want to be sensitive to seekers here at Whitley Church too. But I'm going to tell you the worst thing I could do for somebody who walks in my church and says, well, I got some questions about Jesus. And I hear they do things out there at Whitley Church a little bit different. And they're not so churchy out there. So I'm going to go out there to that church and see what they're doing out there. And so you come out here. The, the, the worst thing I could do for that guy is stand up here and, and hand over some watered down version of the gospel. What I need to do for, look, he's going to hear that out there. When he walked in here, he was looking for something that isn't out there. He's already tried that and it doesn't do it. So you walk in and you look at him, you say, hey, dude, listen, or do that. I love you. I love you. I am not dogging you. I'm not putting you down because I used to be where you are. And by his grace, I've been redeemed. I've been converted. But brother, sister, not yet, but man, woman, uh, you need to be converted. There needs to be a conversion in your life. There's some stuff you need to turn away from and some stuff you need to embrace. And, and Jesus paid a debt. You say, well, I tell you, you just can't really go into real detail about, you know, all the suffering that Jesus went through. Oh, really? You can't talk about that? I remember a movie coming out a few years ago called The Passion of the Christ. And it packed, <laughs> excuse me, I'm emotional. It packed out. See, that's why you don't want to sit on the front row. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know what that was, Eddie, but it's still out there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> it packed out the theaters. It packed out the theaters. I'm telling you, Whitley Church called the movie theater and said, our whole church is coming. There's not going to be room for anybody else. They said, we'll reserve the theater for you. And then some people did come who wanted to see the movie, and we had some seats left over, so they came in. People who didn't know the Lord. I'm telling you, people want to know. They're not afraid to know. We need more movies like that, more movies like the movie we showed right here Friday night. We had over 600 people who packed this place out Friday night to see a movie that presented the gospel clear. People want it clear. They want it straight. They won't understand, I'm lost, I need a savior. We need to stop watering it down. There needs to be an understanding of the cross. There needs to be an understanding of the suffering and the price that had to be paid and the extent that Jesus went through to bring you back to God. There needs to be an understanding of that. And, and there needs to be an understanding of his resurrection. And that because Jesus came out of the grave, we don't, 
we don't come to him, we don't come to a dead Savior to find change for our life. We come to a living Savior. That's why we do water baptism the way we do. That's why we don't sprinkle you here. And if you got sprinkled, um, then, you know, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not putting that down, and you're okay with that form of baptism. It's fine. Here's why we do it the way we do it. We do it the way we do it because it pictures something. My only problem with sprinkling is that sprinkling really doesn't picture anything other than, you know. And, and look, I'm not making fun of that because some of you came out of that background, so I'm not. But, but the reason, you say, well, why do you guys get all wet? Here's why. Because when we bring you down and, and put you under the water, we hold you there till you say tithe. <laughs> not really, not really. Tithe, come on, let me hear a bubble say tithe. Well, there's, there's almost no bubbles, you better hurt. So, so we put them under and we pull, and that is when they go under the water, that's death, that's death to sin, self, and Satan. That's death to the old life. And when we come back up out of the water, that is resurrection into new life in Jesus. That's why we do it the way we do it. And, um, you know, I'm working on the church buying a baptistry where I don't have to get wet. I kind of stand behind it and baptize people. <laughs> How cool is that? And um, so, so that's why we do it. There is a resurrection into new life. And you could not be resurrected into new life if, uh, if Jesus had not risen from the dead. His death brought about the erasing of your sin, but his life brought about his living in you to empower you every day of your life to live in victory. Does that make sense? Now, why is our testimony so important? Why is it so important? Middle of your notes there, notice Revelation 12, 11. And this is talking about Satan's defeat. Now, we believe in the devil here at Whitley Church. We believe Satan is real. What are our three things we always say about the devil? He's a decided fact. He does exist. He's a destructive force. He's come to kill uh, steal and destroy, but he is a defeated foe because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. These are the things we believe about him. So in the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 11, it talks about Satan's defeat. And look what it says. It says, and they have defeated him because of the blood of the lamb. And the word lamb there is capitalized, so it's the blood of Jesus. So Satan is defeated because of the shed blood of Jesus. All that means is Satan was defeated because of the cross. Here's what Jesus said about that. Here's what Jesus said about his death on the cross. He said, at the moment I die on the cross, at that moment he has been cast out. That means he is defeated. Okay? So, so we as Christians don't pray for victory. We pray from victory because the enemy's not going to be defeated. He already has been. I mean, read the last book in the Bible. He, he's had it. So, and so they have defeated him because of the blood of the lamb and because of their, their witness, their testimony. There are three things that make an effective testimony. Let's go through them very quickly. Now, you see in your notes three main points. I'm going to go ahead and give those to you right now so you can fill in the blanks and, and so you won't have to worry about, did I get that one, did I get that one? Here they are. First of all, when you're going to witness to somebody, 
Here's what they want. They want your story. They want you to tell your story. You don't have to be a theologian. Just tell your story. And and here's your story. First of all, past guilt. Past guilt. Secondly, secondly is present grace. And thirdly, down at the very bottom of your notes, the third one in the bold underline, uh, is future glory. So when you're going to witness to somebody, you're going to want to tell your story. And this is a good little outline. You don't have to use, there's nothing, there's nothing um, you know, inerrant about this or infallible about this. This is just my little deal I created. Present, you, you need to talk about where you were when he found you and what kind of shape you were in when he found you. You need to talk about what it's been like since he found you. And then you need to tell them about where you're going. Okay? So they want to hear your story. Now, I don't want to offend anybody here, but a person who doesn't know the Lord isn't really that interested in what the Bible has to say yet. They will be. They will be interested in it, but they're not really interested in that yet. They want to know, why are you a Christian? Why did you do that? Why did you go that way? They want to hear your story. Now, there are three things uh, to remember when we're going to talk about where we were before Christ found us. Now, go back up to that first point that says past guilt. You see those little three things underneath that in your notes? See that there? Or are you all totally lost? All right, under past guilt, here's what you need to remember. You need to remember, now you're not going to say it this way to them. You're going to just kind of tell it in a way they can receive it. But you need to understand, because as you understand the things I'm going to talk about, it's going to make your testimony crystal clear. It's going to make it powerful. It's going to make it powerful. It's going to put an edge on your words when you speak to somebody, okay? All right, here we go. Number one, you need to remember As you were talking to them, you need to remember that you were dead spiritually when he found you. You were dead. Now, I'm trying to make you guys feel good about yourself, so you're you're dead spiritually. In the beginning, God lived in Adam. He inhabited the spirit of Adam, so Adam was spiritually alive. And so God came along and said, now, Adam, I want to tell you, I'm alive in you, and this is the way I want it to be, and I've created you so I can live in you, and and, and so I can live my life through you. But, but, Adam, if you disobey me, I mean, if sin moves in, I'm moving out. And Adam, if you disobey, if you eat of this tree, if you eat of this forbidden fruit, then that means you have disobeyed and that means you have sinned. And when sin moves in, I'm going to move out. And dude, listen, get this one. When I move out, you're dead. You say, where is that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Genesis 2, 16 through 17, God said, Adam, if you eat this forbidden fruit, you will die. Doesn't mean he died immediately, but he began to die. He did die immediately spiritually. Now, as you know, Adam did disobey God. He did eat of the fruit, and the moment he did, God moved out, and the moment God moved out, Adam died a spiritual death. But not only did Adam die a spiritual death, not only did Adam die a spiritual death, so did you, and so did I. You say, well, I wasn't there. I didn't have anything to do with it. I'm That's just how it is. He represented you. 
He ate of that fruit, and the moment he ate of that fruit, death came upon him and was passed to all men. Let's read it from the Bible, Romans 5 and 12. Adam, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. That would include you. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So you are born needing a Savior. You are born lost. So if you have never before God admitted that you were lost and asked him to come into your life, I just want to tell you today because I love you very, very much, you are not ready for heaven. You say, but I am a good person. And I'm telling you something. I know some of the people in your church who claim to be Christians, and I know that some of the things, well, you can offer up, all, and you're probably right about that, and I wouldn't deny that. But I'm telling you that knowing a hypocrite doesn't make you a Christian. You say, well, I'm just not going to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, it's like I tell everybody. I'd rather go to church every Sunday with a few hypocrites than to spend eternity in hell with all of them. Amen. Amen. If you hate hypocrites, dude, you want to get saved, go to heaven. Because if you hate hypocrites and, and you die without Jesus, you're going to spend eternity with all of them. Somebody's writing that down. Boy, I'm just... I ain't never thought of that, Earl. Have you know that? We talk about forgiveness. We put a big emphasis, emphasis on forgiveness, and we tell people, you need the forgiveness of sin. Well, you do. You do need the forgiveness of sin. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something really more important than that. See, you can forgive a dead person, but guess what? Still dead. Still dead. If you really want to help a dead person, raise them back to life. Somebody was writing and now they stopped. Now listen, here's what I'm talking about. Forgiveness is great. It's wonderful. We got to have it. But let me tell you about forgiveness of your sins. You don't even have to ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins. He already has. As a matter of fact, he is standing in this church this morning holding his hand out going, if you'll just, if you'll just receive my forgiveness have you ever forgiven somebody for something, but they wouldn't even receive your forgiveness? Well, it isn't mended then, is it? That relationship isn't mended until they accept your offer of forgiveness. And so, so Jesus offers forgiveness. Look, you don't have to ask him to do it. He's already done it. You, but, but you will not be made right with him until you receive it, until you appropriate that forgiveness. Am I making any sense here? But what a, what a dead man needs is not forgiveness or not only forgiveness. He needs a resurrection. And the only way you can have a resurrection is for Jesus to come into your life. So salvation, being converted from a sinner to a Christian, is not simply forgiveness, but it is you allowing Jesus to come into your life and rule and reign in your life. You remember I talk about that little throne? You invite him to come in and sit down on that throne and become the ruler of your life. Because, see, we, we, here's, what, here's the way a lot of people want to live the Christian life. They want to do whatever they want to do and just go, I'm really sorry, Jesus. I'm really sorry. Now I'm going to do it again next Saturday night, but I'm really sorry. Y'all with me? Yes. And that's not real repentance. Because repentance is an about face where you stop that junk and embrace Jesus. 
It's getting quiet in here. Y'all with me? Do I look a little bit like John Travolta right now? All right, number two, not only are we dead. Now, this, guys, listen, I know what time it is, but please get this. We are not only dead, we're depraved. We're depraved. Now, have you ever heard of a law, a law term, a lawyer term, depraved indifference? You ever heard that? It simply means that somebody just did something, didn't care who they hurt, didn't care who they killed, didn't care. Like, like when a person walks into a McDonald's or something, and you hear these stories and they just shoot and kill a bunch of people. That's, that's depraved indifference. That means you don't care. Now, now I want to tell you that that's how you were when Adam sinned, listen carefully to me because this is some theology you need to get. When the sin curse, remember we read um, uh, Romans 5 and 12 that it was passed down to all of us. When that sin cursed, if, when it had its full effect on us, we were not only dead but depraved. And I want you to understand what depravity means. Depravity means that, there, that you have nothing in you that wants God. So before Adam sinned, he longed for God. The Bible says in the cool of the day, he would just fellowship with God. He he longed for him. But when sin comes in, so does depravity. And depravity means, you could use the same word, that law term, depraved indifference. You just don't even have anything in you because of the sin curse that even is attracted to God. So let me just do this right here. We're on a timeline. So Pharaoh Hardison is born right here. He's born in sin because of Adam's sin. So I'm born in sin, so I'm depraved. That means there's nothing in me that wants God. So here's Jesus, and here is hell. I know we don't talk about hell very much, but it's there. So here's here's Pharaoh. So I'm born, and I grow up, and all of a sudden I begin to understand and I hear the gospel, and I understand the gospel, but I'm depraved, so when I get to Jesus, I just go around him because there is nothing in me that wants him. There's nothing in me that, are, that is attracted to him. So I just walk right around him and just go on drawing my breath and drawing my salary and thinking that when I die, I guess I believe that, you know, if a person's a pretty good person, they end up going to heaven. But I end, because I went around Jesus, I had no desire for him, where do I end up? I end up in hell. I'm just preaching the Bible here. Now, I want to show you the love of God. God knew, God knew that when the sin curse came to you, that you were depraved. And so God knew that depravity meant you had no desire for him. So I want you to look at what Jesus said in John 6, 44. We're going to skip the other one, guys, just for the sake of time. Look at John 6, 44. Jesus is talking about our depravity right here. He says, no one is able to come to me. There's nothing in a human that is even able or desires to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws him, listen to this, listen to this part, and gives him the desire to come to me. Are y'all, y'all with me this morning? I may have lost a few people. Here's what I'm saying to you. God saw you born. God put Jesus to block you from going to hell. 
And I want to tell you something. If you end up in hell, you will have stepped over Jesus to get there because he's right there trying to stop you to, to let him be Lord of your life. But you have the choice. So God knew that we were born depraved. So God put in us an attraction, a desire. That's what that empty spot is. Every one of you guys are like a donut. You've got an empty place in the middle that needs to be filled. Cream-filled donuts. I know they don't have that, but I'm just, whatever. And I um, wish I hadn't thought about a cream-filled donut. Now I'm just out there. But you just got an empty hole in you that desires God. Now listen, listen, listen. God put that empty place in you. And, and sometimes we fill it with sex or drugs or rock and roll. It just came together. And, uh, or we fill it with, um, you know, um, power or pride or whatever. And so we, and so we, we go around Jesus anyway, but, but it isn't that we're not attracted to him. Even people now, because of the love of God and putting that desire in us, even people now who end up in hell lost they were still drawn to Jesus. They were still attracted to Jesus. They still wanted Jesus, but they just decided not to. So in you, in everybody in here, in everybody you run into, I want you to think of the meanest person you know, and don't point at anybody. But I want you to think of the meanest person you know. Listen, listen to me, listen. That, in that mean person you know is a desire to know God. In Saddam Hussein was a desire to know Yahweh. In Hitler was a desire to know Yahweh. They went other paths and saw other things to fill that void. But that was the void they were trying to fill. It was only Jesus who could fill it. So we're depraved and Jesus God the Father gave us an attraction. Finally, we're, we're in darkness when we're lost, and I'm, I'm coming to a close here. And here's, here's why I'm giving you this now, and then, and then I'm done. I'm giving you this because we're talking about the supernatural power of God being on us to be witnesses. But in order for your, in order for your story that you're going to tell to be powerful, you have to have gone through a true conversion and you have to have some understanding. It doesn't have to be super deep, but it's got to be at least as deep as what I've preached this morning. You have to have an understanding of where you were delivered from, what shape you were in when God found you. That's, that helps you look at that lost person when you're witnessing to them and go, man, you think you're in bad shape. Listen, here's where I was. And see, they're looking at you going, whoa. So you've been where I am. You go, absolutely. Man, everybody's been where you are. You say, well, that guy didn't do drugs and he didn't drink and he didn't party and he didn't do a lot of the things I did and fornicate all over the place. I mean, he's always been a pretty good, doesn't matter. Lost is lost. Lost is lost. As a matter of fact, Psalm 40, Psalm 40 talks about where God delivered us from. Can I give you that real quick? Psalm 40, guys going over to that. That third one, by the way, was darkness there. So you're dead, you're depraved, and you're in darkness. And I won't go into the scriptures there because we just don't have time. But this is where you were when God found you. Everybody with me? Then, then it, uh, Psalm 40 says, speaks of how God reached out. You say, well, where did God deliver me from? I mean, was I really all that bad? Well, let's just look at it. Psalm 40 says he reached down and delivered us from a pit 
of tumult. A pit of destruction. A pit of froth. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds nasty. Don't it? A pit of tumult. He delivered you from a pit of destruction. He delivered you from a pit of froth. He delivered you from a pit of slime. He delivered you from the miry clay. Whether you are a drug addict, fornicator, or whether you went to church with a little necktie on every Sunday, lost is lost. And when God delivers you, see, you have some people sitting in here going, well, I'll tell you, I didn't do all those things. I didn't do all those things. I might not have been a Christian, but I was a very good person. Let me tell you something. I would rather be out there laying in that ditch, getting over a hangover from last night and know I need Jesus than to be sitting in some fancy church in Goldsboro this morning with a big old necktie on thinking I got everything right and I'm just as lost as I can be. Hey, I'd rather be lost and know I'm lost than to be lost and think I'm right. Amen, amen. So those of you who've gone through that and you've lived that in your life, let me tell you something. Your delivery from sin is no harder for God than fancy pants sitting up in Goldsboro in the big church this morning. Amen? Amen, amen. And then you got to talk about present grace. This is number two in your list there. And this means you just tell them, I've been delivered from death, man. I've been delivered from, uh, from depravity. I've been delivered from darkness. I'm in the light now. And you just talk about what life has been since you were a Christian. You talk about what it was like before, and then you talk about what it's like since. I'm a better dad. I'm a better mom. I'm a better uh, friend. I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm being a blessing to others at church. And, and, and so these are the things that have happened. I've got a joy in my heart. You, you know, before Jesus, I couldn't sleep at night. Since I've come to Jesus, I just lay down and, in his arms, and he puts his arms around me, and I just go to sleep at night. I just don't have that trouble in me, and, and I've got peace in my soul. And you just start telling them what your life has been like since you found Jesus. You know, I mean, you can do the Roman road to salvation, and I'm not against that. And we have classes here on how to lead people to the Lord, and we'll teach you all that stuff. But I'll tell you what people want. They want to know why you did it. They want to know why you became a Christian. Guy comes to my house selling vacuum cleaners. I want to know how he likes it over at his house. Well, I haven't bought one yet. Well, go buy one, use it for a year, and then come back and see me. Amen? Y'all with me? I mean, I want to know why you're a Christian. If you're going to try to win me over to be a Christian, what has Jesus done for you? Be ready to tell that story. That's what my sermon's about today. Be ready to tell that story. Talk about where you were. Talk about what he's done for you. Look at Ephesians 2.5. Even when we were dead by shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. It is by his grace that you are saved. You say, well, I don't know if I'm saved, but I'm a good person. Well, a dead man can't raise himself from the dead. You say, well, I do a lot of good things to help a lot of people. Well, that's really great. We really appreciate it. But your good works, that makes you your Savior. You're not your Savior. See, if your good works would get you to heaven, all this stuff in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, all that Jesus went through wouldn't have been necessary if you can save yourself. You can't save yourself no matter how many good things you do. Lazarus was dead. 
Did he yell from inside the tomb, I'm coming forth? No. Jesus said, come forth. Did Jairus' daughter raise herself from the dead? No, it was Jesus who said, daughter, live again. Was the widow's son, did he raise himself? No, Jesus met that funeral uh, a dirge going down the road. And Jesus walked up and said, woman, why does your son, why, why are you troubled? She said, my son is dead, my young boy. He, it was Jesus who raised him from the dead. Listen, if you come from spiritual death to spiritual life, it will be because Jesus did it. Not anything you did, nothing you did, nothing you did. You remember that song we used to sing in church a long time ago? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Y'all finished the last line because. How cool is it that Jesus first loved me? I, he took the initiative. I mean, he looked down at Mark and he looked down at Farrell and he looked down at Eddie. And, and he knew we weren't going to seek him. So he took the initiative and loved us first. He took the initiative. <laughs> That's insane. When you think about the system of this world, it is crazy that God would take the initiative after all he had done for us and we went ahead and sinned anyway. That's how much he loves you. And then the final part of your testimony is that perspective glory. Perspective glory. Here, here's what you, you want. I want you to study your Bible and find out some stuff about heaven you can tell them. Because here, see, when they want to know what must I do to be saved, I mean, someday somebody's going to walk up to you and go, what must I do to be saved? And you're going to go, oh, let me call my preacher. Honestly, I get that all the time. Honestly, I get that all the time. Now, they all go to the first service. None of them are in this service. But they call me and they say, Pastor, I've got a friend that wants to get saved and I want, can you talk to him? No, you talk to him. Give me a break. I've always wanted to yell at y'all. No, you tell him. You say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Well, just tell him where you were when Jesus found you. Tell him what your life's been like since Jesus found you. And then tell him where you're headed. Tell him where you're going. And then tell him if he don't find Jesus, kind of describe where he's going. That'll get his attention. Now listen to this. This is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. I know the playoffs are today. I'm with you. Ephesians 2 and 7. Listen. He did all this. All that I've preached on today, he did this so that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come this is an awesome verse, guys. Don't, it's, I know it's late. You got chicken on the brain, but get the, don't miss this right here. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable riches of his free grace in kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Christ Jesus. That verse right there is so packed with the characteristics of God that, that it's just amazing. But the thing I want you to focus on is that word demonstrate. And then I want you to focus on the next three words, through the ages. He did all this. He provided us salvation. He provided us a way to come to know him. He provided a way to heaven so that when he gets us to heaven, through the ages is what that means. Demonstrate that when he gets us to heaven, 
He can demonstrate. Well, when you dig into that word demonstrate, it means display. It means exhibit. And then when I really want to get into something, I love to read what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. So I went to my notes and found out. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that what this means, and this is what he titled a sermon on this verse, that we become in heaven trophies of his grace. Now, what do you do with a trophy? You put it out. I mean, my boys won some trophies, you know, in high school and wrestling and football, and I really don't have room to put them out. I need the room in my office for books and some other things because I got them piled up behind my desk, but I ain't moving them trophies because I want them out. People come and go, you boys play ball? Yeah, they play ball. Were they good? Yeah. Who they like? They like their daddy. <laughs> and God is so proud of us that we chose the right way. And we're in heaven. And so he just kind of, I don't know what that means, puts us on display like a trophy. I don't know what that means, but it sounds so cool. I don't even know really what that means. I'm not even claiming I do, but I'm just telling you, your daddy God is proud of you. When you look at all the stuff the world offers and go, no, 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 yes, he's proud of you. And when you get to heaven, he just puts you up like a trophy of his grace because you can get there by yours. You get there by his. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, this is a crucial time in the service. Please be as quiet as you can and try not to distract in any way at this time. Lord Jesus, if there's someone here who isn't sure and they've been thinking if they were just a good person or if they were better than most other people that they would go to heaven on their goodness. I pray that the, today they've seen that that is not going to happen. A dead man cannot raise himself from the dead. So I pray, God, that those who do not know you or, or maybe they've settled in their heart this morning, you know, I don't think I ever really had a true conversion experience. Then all they have to do right now is just know that they have sin in them and to be sorrowful for that sin because that sin separates them from you. So there's sorrow for the sins they've acquired from Adam and there's also sorrow for sins they have, they've uh, done themselves. And so they come to you with that sorrow and they say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. And, and God, because I'm sorry for my sins, I repent. That means I'm turning my back now, God, on my old life and I'm embracing you, Jesus. Come in my heart, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for me and, and I know that you paid the debt I couldn't pay and I know that you rose from the dead and because you live, I can call on your name and you will come into my heart. And so that's what I'm doing, Jesus. Come into my heart right now. Come in into my heart and save me. Save my soul from sin, O oh Lord I know there is no other way for me to know the Father except that I would receive you as, as the Savior of my life. And so I receive you now, Lord Jesus, as my Savior. And I know when I do that that I'm made right with God. Come in my life, Jesus. 
Just say that to him. I'm sorry. I repent. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Now I receive you, Jesus, and I receive what you've done for me on the cross. Wash my sins away. Save my soul today. I receive you, Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking, nobody looking. If you prayed that today and made it right, would you just put your hand up and back down? Just put it up and back down. God bless you. God bless you. And everybody look this way. Now listen, listen. Here's all I want you to do, and I'm going to join you. Here's all I want you to do. Let's go out there. Let's go out there and tell our story. I mean, if you walk up to somebody and go, brother, have you seen the Roman road to salvation? They're going to run. But if you will look at them and, and, you know, maybe they're going through a hard time. Maybe they've been, look, we're, we're out of time, guys. We're at a time where a lot of people are getting laid off from their jobs. And a lot of people are very vulnerable and they're very open to hear things and, and look at them. And maybe you as a Christian have been laid off your job. This is a time for you not to melt, but shine. Shine in your, in your troubled times. See, they're watching us. They're watching us. They really don't care how we act when everything's great. They want to see how we act when the house is on fire. So, so you say, well, I've lost my job. Well, if they see you acting like them, they're going to go, he's acting worse than I am. He's supposed to be a Christian out there. So we got to stand tall in the, in the battle. We've got to stand tall when things aren't good. That's when we let our light shine. That's when they come up and go, man, how can you be like that? And you go, well, just let me tell you what happened to me and then tell them where you were and what it's been like since Jesus found you and where you're going. And then they'll say, what must I do? And that's when you say, just ask Jesus to come into your heart and you know that you have sin in you and, and are you sorrowful for, yes, I'm sorrowful for my sin. And you're, are you willing now to turn your back on your old life and embrace Jesus. Yes, I am. And you believe he died on a cross and paid for your sins and you believe he rose from the dead. I do. Do you believe he did that for you? Yes, I do. Then let's pray right now. Then you lead them in a prayer that says, Jesus, come in my life. I'm telling you, that is why we were given supernatural power to tell our story. Now go out of here and tell your story. God bless you.